All right, I invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you enjoy singing Christmas carols, I trust you'll be with us at our Christmas events, including the Eve of Christmas Eve service. That'll be a caroling time together. There'll be other things as well, but there'll be certainly plenty of chances to sing carols. We're also asking you to bring your favorite Christmas cookies to share, and uh, we'll have a good time together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Suppose I began my sermon this way by asking a question. If you want to have a blessed life tonight, raise your hand. Suppose I do that. All right. Well, wow, you guys are pretty good at that. Every one of us should be raising our hand, I guess you could say. If you're not raising your hand, it could be either you're just not a hand raiser, right? Uh, or you were just too busy thumbing in your Bible to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I didn't give you a chance to settle down to raise your hand. Everybody would like a blessed life. Is there anybody here who wouldn't want to prosper? Of course not. Is there anybody here who wouldn't want to be blessed? Of course not. I don't think there's anyone in any station anywhere who wouldn't say, of course, I want a blessed and prosperous and fulfilled and happy life. Of course you would. Someone tells us, however, exactly how that is to happen. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, so I'll put Psalm 1 on the screen, but I'm sure you've heard it many times, perhaps you even have it memorized. Where it says, blessed is the man who, and then it continues and says, delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And you know exactly how it goes from there. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 1 illustrates what it looks like if you are a blessed person. What a blessed life actually looks like. It says, he will be like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The psalmist there makes a radical claim that if you do this, verse 1, this will happen in verse 3. This is yours, he's basically saying, if you want it and you are willing to do this thing, to daily meditate in Scripture. Now the question comes up as you read that. How can a book, the Bible, really do that? After all, aren't we just talking about black words on a white page? Before we go any further, notice I said we'd meditate daily on the truths of God's Word. And I appreciate the tenacity of preachers that would just say, you need to read your Bible every day. And I, I understand what they mean by that. I think what they're missing is the scriptural mandate to meditate on God's Word every day. And there is a distinct difference. I could just be in such a, a pattern of reading the Bible every day, I just have to get the next verses in my pattern, that I forget the real purpose of meditating. You could actually meditate on the same verse for several days in a row, quite frankly. But the point is meditation, not just reading, though I understand why there's such an emphasis on reading. Because you can't read, or rather you can't meditate if you haven't read it. That just kind of goes hand in hand. But the point, the imperative, is meditation. But if meditation on the Word of God gives you a blessed, prosperous life, how is that even possible if we're just talking about a book? Well, we're not talking about a book, are we? God's Word is His inspired letter to us. In fact, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. We have the absolute, perfect, inspired, breathed out of the mouth of God Word. That's exactly what Paul claims in his second letter to Timothy when he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is therefore profitable. The way this book can change us so radically to be a blessed and prosperous person is because it is the God-breathed words that we have to us. But sometimes we must confess that even though we believe Psalm 1, at least in theory, not always in practice, 
And even though we may believe in the doctrinal, verbal, plenary inspiration, we have a struggle. Sometimes, and if you're honest with yourself, you have to admit this, sometimes I read God's word and nothing happens. You've been there before? Maybe it'd be harder to raise your hand in honesty with that one than it was the first one, right? Sometimes I read and it's as if I'm reading a dead book. And I know it's not a dead book. Right? I, I know that. I, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm not supposed to view it that way. But sometimes, sometimes we open up the Word of God and it's like nothing happens. I can believe that to be true even for myself. Right? Sometimes I leave a service, having heard the Word preached, and I hear something, and I, and I, I, I hear someone say to me, boy, that was a snoozer, right? And I think, well, it wasn't to me, Right? I thought that was an excellent sermon. Maybe I was the preaching one or someone else was. Sometimes it's the reverse, though, quite frankly. Sometimes I think, boy, that was a snoozer. (laughs) And I look over, and that person is absolutely moved almost to tears. How does that happen, that there can be such different reactions to the Word of God in the same room even at times? Well, the answer is that this is a supernatural book. And what we're getting down to this evening is really part two to what we looked at and really by way of uh, almost shocking introduction last week. The question is, what is the Spirit's work of illumination? I'm sure you've heard the word illumination. If you were with us last week, you did. What does it mean when the Spirit works in such a way to reveal to us? And tonight's message, I'd like to look at that because the Bible is a powerful book that cannot be rightly understood without the powerful illumination of the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit's illumination? We'll be looking at one passage this evening, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's not that lengthy of a passage because it will actually settle down not on one particular verse, but will actually settle down on the whole passage, the whole chapter. We'll likely come back to this chapter in the next message at the end of this chapter. But right now I want us to focus in on the book. And we'll, I hope by God's grace that tonight's message uh, that you can simply say to yourself, I'll read it by myself because something supernatural happens through the Word. That's what the Word is. How does the Holy Spirit work? We looked at that last week. He works through the Word. What does that look like? We're going to look at that this evening. Beginning in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And I, brethren, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, myself, Paul, to you, the Corinthians, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined to, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. If you're into marking your Bibles, let me encourage you to at least mark the references to the Spirit in chapter 2. There are many of them. There's the first one. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom uh, uh, among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world do. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But that is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither hath 
entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. There's another reference to the Spirit in this passage. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of, of, of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. There's another reference there. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Certainly as you've read this passage, you come to discover that this chapter is all about God's working as the Holy Spirit. It's, it's very interesting to see that highlighted. In fact, if you're just thinking through as you're reading, it, it breaks itself down very clearly into three distinct sections of talking about distinctive works of illumination through the Holy Spirit. Now, even as we gather tonight, we must openly acknowledge that we are dependent on the Spirit's work. Without the Holy Spirit's work, anything that is said in this pulpit or from behind this pulpit is absolutely in vain. Without the Holy Spirit's presence this evening, there is really no reason for us to even be here at all. Our big idea for today is this. God sends his Holy Spirit to reveal his hidden wisdom in Christ. That's the big idea of this passage. Whatever is hidden in God, whatever is secret in God, whatever is inaccessible to us is revealed to us through the Spirit's working. Only through his Son, Jesus Christ, by the sending of the Holy Spirit, can God be known. But what is the Spirit's illumination? Immediately when you look at the word illumination, you could have the idea of the lights being turned on. How does the Holy Spirit turn the lights on, if you will? Well, number one, the power of proclamation is in the Spirit's illumination. God's word is supernaturally proclaimed in the Spirit. Paul is going to talk about his preaching ministry to the Corinthian believers. When he says in verse 1, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. I'd have you to notice the word proclaimed in verse 1. Proclaimed means to report or to tell something with conviction. Proclaimed in this passage and in its context is synonymous with our idea of preaching. You could rightly say, I did not come to you preaching with superior speaking abilities or wisdom. The word proclaimed is actually related to the idea or the word for angel. If you think with me in your Luke 2 thoughts for a moment, what is an angel? Well, an angel is a messenger from God. That's what they do. They carry a message from God. And what does a messenger do? Well, he brings a message from one person to another person. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, when I came preaching, I was simply a messenger carrying a message from God to you. And not only was Paul being a messenger, but Paul makes a point that every act of preaching the gospel 
is not grounded on or dependent on human ability. Look what he says in verse 1. I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom. And he says in verse 4, but my message and my preaching was not with persuasive words of wisdom. Now the Greeks put a lot of stock, a lot of emphasis in rhetoric. They were big on speech. They were used to teachers being well-trained in the art of speaking. And Paul is saying that that was not the key to the message that he proclaimed. The key to proclamation of the word was not superiority of speech. That was not the key. The key to the proclamation was not superiority of man's wisdom either. And the key was not even in Paul's physical abilities that he had. Verse 3, I also was with you in weakness and in fear and in great trembling. There's a lot of different interpretation as to what exactly Paul meant when he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and great trembling. Some would suggest that Paul was generally not a very strong person. If you saw him, you would consider him to not have been a pillar of health. Certainly that's possible. Some suggest that Paul must have had some kind of discouraging thing happen recently in his ministry that caused him to be there with great fear and great trembling. My Ryrie Bible study has that particular note in its margins. It's possible. Some suggest that Paul might have been gifted with the pen as a writer, but not so gifted as a preacher. That's certainly possible. Some people suggest that Paul simply is being humble and describing himself as being a preacher as not being an overpowering preacher. He's just coming to them with humility. That's possible. Whatever the specific point, I think the general concept is very clear. Paul says, when I came preaching the gospel, it was not based on my giftedness, whether in my physical appearance, my rhetoric, my strong voice, or any other such thing. That wasn't what I came with. So how did Paul preach? And Paul makes that very clear. When he preached the gospel, it demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 4. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power... Paul was making it clear that when he preached Jesus Christ, his message of Christ demonstrated God's spirit. Paul wanted to make sure that there weren't people who were saying, I'm a Christian because I heard Paul preach. Paul doesn't want any of that. In fact, he says in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. If Paul was an incredibly gifted orator, which I'm persuaded in some ways he must have been, then people would have said, the only way to get saved is if you go hear Paul preach. And Paul said, don't believe that. I came and preached in such a way to evidence the Holy Spirit. Now think for a moment. Can you think of the back of the time when you were saved? Perhaps you can. Some of you maybe got saved early in life and you started growing later in life. So maybe you can think of a time when you started to really grow in your walk with God. Can you think back to a person or persons that were very instrumental in helping you come to Christ or grow in your walk with Christ? You think of a brother or sister or a friend or a pastor or someone who came alongside you and really pushed you to, in your walk with Christ, either come to him through saving faith or grow. And God can use these special folks in our lives, can't they? 
However, and this is the point Paul is making, my faith is not based on them. Now that's something that the Corinthians really didn't understand very well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, by the way, there's chapter 2, but it, Paul is saying in chapter 2, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and great trembling. And Paul is saying, I came and preached in such a way that evidenced the Holy Spirit, but they really struggled with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. There was a great division. There were arguing going on in the Corinthian church. And what was the cause of their turmoil? What are they arguing about? Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or some of you are especially spiritual, and say, I follow Christ. What are they arguing about? They are arguing about their favorite preacher or leader. But Paul makes the point crystal clear that the gospel goes forth and it only goes forth not through personality, not through skill of oration, not through wisdom of rhetoric. It only goes forth through the Spirit of God. Going back to our text, verse 5. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. That is the power of proclamation that is seen in the Spirit's illumination. If God does anything in your heart through the preaching of the Word, it's all and only through the power of the Spirit. Do you understand why this is so important? How many people do you know in your life who have grown up in and around a particular church or have been ministered to, particularly through preachers, this often happens, and they love that pastor or they love that preacher and that preacher fails miserably, whatever that may be. Because honestly, the devil loves to shoot down leaders. We see that all throughout history. And all of a sudden, that preacher fails and what does it do to this individual's faith? That person's just going to quit on the faith. They're going to quit coming to church. They're going to quit reading their Bible because, honestly, it was all propped up from one person or from one personality or even a collection of personalities. How does the Spirit work? Paul is saying the preacher becomes invisible, that Jesus can become more visible. I'm not saying it's wrong to have preferences, and in any assembly, some will likely like certain teaching styles better than others. But it is not about the individual's performance in their teaching. That's what Paul is saying. The Spirit's illumination works best when it's not about other people. And we can look like last week, and we can say, well, we would never, we would never fall prey to some of the goofy clips that I showed. Like, I, I, I understand this Holy Spirit so much better than those people. I would never fall prey to that. And yet, when it comes to our testimonies, we can be pretty close to it when we're saying, basically, I am who I am because of this person in my life. And Paul is saying, even I, Paul, and by the way, boy, if Paul was my mentor, I would have a hard time not talking about that all the time, wouldn't you? <laughs> Paul is saying, I am not 
who I, you are not who you are because of my ministry. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when God touches down in a special way, when someone is preaching the word or teaching the word, and you are moved, and it is, you, you really feel that God is teaching you something, who did that? The Holy Spirit. Power of proclamation is seen in the Holy Spirit's illumination. Or the power of revelation is also seen in the Spirit's illumination. The second point falls logically after the first, really. God's word only goes forth only through the power of the Spirit because, secondly, God's truth is initially revealed by the Spirit. Not only was God's word supernaturally proclaimed in the Spirit, but God's word was supernaturally revealed by the Spirit. Look at verse 6. Yet we do, not, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak of God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, which God predestined before the ages of glory. Well, that is a mouthful. Paul has a lot of verses that are a mouthful, by the way. What does it mean? It means that the Holy Spirit reveals spiritual truth. Notice the word mystery here. We speak God's word in a mystery. You notice that word? The word mystery in the Bible refers to a spiritual truth that used to be hidden, at least partially, and now God reveals it to us. It's a truth that was disclosed that you can now see. That's why Paul says in verse 7, it was hidden wisdom. It's all in that same verse. In the past, the gospel was not clearly revealed like it was now. I'm fully aware of the fact that all throughout the Old Testament, we see all kinds of shadows of Christ, don't we? We see the Old Testament sacrificial system as being a shadow of Christ. We see the temple and all that is involved there pointing to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. But these things are shadowy. We see a certain things, but there is so much we didn't see fully until they are revealed to us in the New Testament. And that's what Paul's referring to when he says in verse 7, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. How do we get to know these hidden things? How do we get to know this mystery. After all, the second point follows logically after the first, right? God's word goes forth only because of the power of the Spirit. God's truth is initially revealed by the Spirit. So how do we know this hidden wisdom, this mystery? Verse 10. For to us, God revealed them, here's this illumination, through the Spirit. How can we understand the truth? The Spirit reveals the truth. There's a corollary truth now that Paul parks on just for a little bit. It is the Spirit that reveals truth. It is this true that man cannot discover truth. There's a lot of things that man can discover, by the way. For a long time, people thought the world was flat. And then someone discovered that they were wrong. <laughs> For a long time, man thought that we were the center of the world's universe. After all, that's kind of the way we all operate anyways. Only to discover that that wasn't true, right? Thomas Edison discovered electricity. That's, we're very thankful for that. Alexander Graham Bell discovered 
the communication with telephones and all of these discoveries. There are many material things that man can discover. But man cannot discover spiritual truth. It has to be revealed by the Spirit. Verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. They can't discover this. What does that mean? Drop down to verse 8. Verse 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, who are these rulers? These would have been the political rulers who crucified Christ. Did they really understand what they were doing? Paul seems to indicate that no, they did not. And why did they not understand what they were doing? Because no one can discover spiritual truth. Does, no matter how smart you are, you can't discover this, just as it is written, verse 9. Things which eye has not seen, nor ear heard. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Empiricism will not reveal God to you. Those of you who enjoy science know the word empiricism. What is the scientific method? It's the idea that we go into a laboratory and observe what takes place and then repeat it. And that works with empiricism as it relates to natural discoveries. But you can't find out about God that way. You can't spend your whole life being a great scientist and think you'll find God. Empiricism will not reveal God to you. And rationalism will not reveal God to you. Which have not, he says in verse 9, entered the heart of men. You can be an incredibly gifted, esoteric, philosophical type who thinks deep thoughts. And you still won't know God. The bottom line is that man cannot discover spiritual truth. No, I'm not saying, as you think deeply with me for a moment, that we don't anymore believe in general revelation. We do believe in general revelation. I, I can look up to the see the scars, and I can see that there is a big orderly God. I can observe that. The Bible tells me that. But the stars won't tell me a lot of other things. The stars won't tell me his name. The stars won't tell me his character. The stars won't ultimately tell me his salvific plan for my life. But, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know these things. So if we have this revelation, general revelation, that screams out, there's a big orderly God, and the Holy Spirit's at work in my life, to point me to this big creative God, what is the Holy Spirit going to guide me to that does tell me about his name, and his character, and his wondrous deeds, and most importantly, his salvific plan for my life? The Holy Spirit wants me to know about God. Where can I learn about God? In his word. For us, it says, verse 10, God has revealed them through the Spirit. Praise the Lord for this revelation. The Holy Spirit illumines our understanding that we may understand, which leads us to the third logical point. The power of cognition is in the Spirit's illumination. Here's really what I think is the main point of this chapter and the main emphasis that we'll make this evening, and actually one that we'll make as we continue this conversation next time we're together in this series. God's Word is supernaturally understood through the Spirit. 
And what Paul says is, with the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual understanding. Look at verse 12. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Notice the word received. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Answer, you must receive it. You can't earn it. You can't go out and do stuff to get the Holy Spirit. He can't be bought. You have to be given it. The only way to have him within you is to receive him. But once I have him, he allows me to do something, verse 12, so that we may know the things freely given to us from God. I cannot understand spiritual truth apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit within me, I look at the Bible and it is nothing but words on the page. I can memorize the names of the kings that are there. I could maybe pass a test on Old Testament history. I could, be, I could even write a book on theology that people believe. But I cannot understand spiritual things unless I have received the Holy Spirit into my life. If you are here tonight and you have never personally received Jesus into your life, you cannot understand the Bible. The Spirit is the one who gives us spiritual understanding. That's why Paul says this at the end of his passage. He says this in verse 15. For but the one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him? I mean, who, who can tell God how to do things? But we have the mind of Christ. You say, how can I have the mind of Christ? Answer, because I have the Holy Spirit within me. Remember, God the Holy Spirit knows what God is thinking all the time. Verse 11 of this passage. The thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So with the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual understanding. Saying, Pastor Caleb, in this series already, it seems like you are tying, like almost just, they're the same. Our understanding of the Word of God with our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And you are basically making them one and the same. That's exactly my point. That is exactly my point. The Holy Spirit is God, and he does his work through God's word. Doesn't do it other places. He does it through God's word. But if I have the Holy Spirit, I have spiritual understanding. Have you ever come to God's word and stumbled through something? Maybe that's another time to raise your hand, right? You ever come to God's Word and stumble through something? I know I have. We all have. What do I do there? You pray. And often people will say, well, when I pray, like, how do I, who do I dress and all that? Well, man, if I'm struggling with understanding of the Word, I'm going to talk to the one who is illuminating me in the Word. Holy Spirit, would you tell me uh, point me to truth. I am begging you. And, and he will use the giftedness he gives to his church. And we'll come to this in, his, in our series, by the way. Because it's interesting that the Holy Spirit, the one who illumines God's word to give us spiritual understanding, also gifts churchmen to allow themselves to build each other up. You ever heard about the spiritual gifts that God gives to his people? And we'll talk about that in the series. But how about we come to a passage and we say, I don't, I don't understand that at all. And I've been sitting here in my room for weeks and I have told God, I'm not going to leave my room until you give me an understanding. 
For that reason, you can go back to like old church records and you can read monks, and that's exactly what they did. And they had some pretty bizarre understandings in their own thoughts. You ever heard about the, the, the monk that went into a monastery where he wasn't allowed to speak except for two words every year, that's it? At the end of his first uh, year, he came in and he said to the, to the person that was leading the monastery, bad food, those are two words, he went back. And then he had a whole other year. He wasn't allowed to talk or say anything at all. And he came back in the last year and said to the person leading the monastery, hard bed. And that was it. He went into another year, third year, all the way through, came back to the leader of the monastery and said, I quit. And the person looked at him and said, I'm not at all surprised. For three years, all you've done is complain. I use that joke just to say, there are, you, can, you can go into God's word and you can say, well, what am I going to do? I don't even know how I'm supposed to know the right way to go. Exactly. That's why I'm telling you, stay with me in this series. God's spirit works through God's word in God's house to point us to truth, which is housed in God's household of truth. Where is, we just finished a series on this. Where is the pillar and ground of the truth? It's in the church. The church, according to 2 Timothy, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Can you be spiritually illumined apart from God's word in conjunction with the edification of God's churchmen? And the answer is, no, you can't. So a part of God's working for the illumination is to point you to the word who will gift you within the church that you can rub shoulders with others and be edified with the Holy Spirit giving you spiritual understanding. God did not save you, is my point, to put you into a monastery by yourself. You should probably praise the Lord for that. God did not save you to just put you on an island all by yourself. But... Without the Holy Spirit, you will reject God's truth. It is the Spirit who gives a spiritual understanding. And apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, men will reject spiritual truth. Look at verse 14. But a natural man, the word natural man is used on one other time in the New Testament to refer to people. Namely, the only other time this idea, this word natural man is used in the Bible is used in Jude 19. In Jude 19, it says it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, it's the same word, natural men, devoid of spiritual truth. That's Jude 19. So natural people are devoid of spiritual truth. They are defined as people who do not have God's spirit. To put simply, they aren't saved. So the opposite of a natural man is what? A spiritual man. A person whose mind has received the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, this is just another way of saying an unsaved person. It's not a Christian who is struggling, by the way. Not a Christian who is struggling. This is an unsaved guy. But a natural man, verse 14, an unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. An unsaved guy comes up to you and says, you really believe in the Trinity? And you say, yes, I do. Let me show you from the Bible. And he says, nope, I'm not going to believe that. Do you literally, really believe in a literal hell? And you say, yes, I do. Let me show you from God's word. And you begin to open God's word and explain it to him. And he says, I'm not going to believe that. They reject the word. Why? Verse 14 tells us why. 
A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. A person without the Holy Spirit, when confronted with the truth of Scripture, will not accept it. They will view it as foolish rubbish. The last thing Paul says in verse 14 is this. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, he doesn't have the Spirit. Why would you expect him to understand the Spirit? Friend, this, is, this should inform our evangelism tactics just a little bit this evening to take this tangential tax, path. Many would say, well, I, I really want my, my unsaved neighbor to come to Christ. First of all, I pray that's your desire. Or I want my unsaved relative to come to Christ. I pray as someone who has the Holy Spirit in your life, that is your desire. But many would say, so my, my first option for, for getting them saved is to invite them to church. I'm not saying don't invite them to church. That's not my point. Please don't misunderstand my point this evening. But I do want to ask this question. What is the point of church? The point of church is to grow disciples. That's the point of church. That they can get around the word of God like we're doing this evening and like we did this morning and, and just dig in, just, just kind of just dive in on the deep end, if you will, every time and just soak in the word of God so that we may be strengthened to do what? To be God's hands and feet in the world. Friend, I'm not saying don't invite your unsaved friend to church. That's not my point. My point is, if you aren't preemptively bringing that conversation up and then following up that conversation afterwards, it would be like giving a blind person your favorite book and expecting them to enjoy it. You should be apart, apart from the Holy Spirit's working, men will reject spiritual truth. But how does the Holy Spirit work? It's still the same method. It's still the word. So again, it informs my evangelism. You say, well, they're just going to reject God's word. Why do I keep going? Maybe, maybe I need to have a more creative method, you know? Maybe I got to, like, put on a play or, you know, do some kind of silly thing or... I don't know, any number of weird ways. Maybe, maybe that's the better way because they just keep rejecting the word. Well, first of all, we are promised that God's word does not return unto him void. Praise the Lord for that promise. But this is the light that breaks through the darkness. So my friend's blind, what do I do? I keep shining the light on him is what I do. So what's the point of all of that when we ask the question, what is the Spirit's illumination? The point in conclusion is this. Coming back to all the way from Psalm 1. Do you want a blessed life? Of course you do. Psalm says daily delighting in God's word results in a blessed life. You want that? I want that. But daily delighting in God's word requires illumination of the Spirit. As wonderful as this book is, you can't understand it by yourself, which means every day as you prepare to spend time in God's word, here's a wonderful prayer request you could pray. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. For you to open up scripture and think that you are smart enough to get a blessing would be like watching TV without a converter box. Have a good time watching nothing. God the Holy Spirit is the one who illumines truth. When the gospel is preached, it is proclaimed in his power. When truth is revealed, it is through the ministry of the Spirit. 
when we understand this truth, it is through the illumination of the Spirit. And my whole goal tonight was to continue to encourage you, not just in daily reading, but in meditation. To be careful that you pray for the work of the Holy Spirit before you begin, while you're there, afterwards. And this is nothing just to add on. This is the ingredients. This is the straw that stirs the drink. This is everything. The manual operation for Christian wartime mentality is the Bible. It contains the truth needed for us to win over the enemy to Christ, to deprogram our old thoughts, patterns, to train us in strategies of righteousness, to equip us with armor and weapons to defeat Satan and liberate his captives. We have, friend, as we looked at last week, we have literally everything we need in the Word of God. We don't need new revelation. We don't need special whispers in our ears. We don't need to have a dream this evening to tell us what to do tomorrow. We have everything we need in the Word of God. But I believe, and this is why it's so important to do this sermon after the heels of last Sunday's, I believe so many are shaken up by that because they think, I've come to the Word time and time again, and it's like eating dry cereal. And I'm getting nothing out of it. What do I do? We must determine to be disciplined students of the text is what we need to do. The Spirit inspired these writings. He does not accept shortcuts. When we pray for his help, we do not pray that he will spare us the hard work and rigorous reading and reflection necessary. That's not what we're praying. We're not praying, God, it just, it's just too hard. I just wish I could just read the Bible and it would just all come to me like a hand coming out of the sky pointing me in the direction. When we pray for God to illuminate us, we are not praying for him to remove the hard work and rigorous meditation necessary. That's not our prayer request. What we pray is that he would make us humble enough to welcome the truth. And therefore, we can come to a passage like Paul would say and say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and we're not afraid of that. We're embracing that because we understand exactly what Paul is saying. The work of the Spirit in helping us grasp the meaning of Christ's manual for operation is not to make study unnecessary, but to make us radically open to receive what our study turns up. Instead of twisting the text to justify our own unwillingness to accept it, we come to the text and we pray, God, allow us to repent and follow it wholeheartedly. That's the Spirit's work of illumination. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much. Truly we do for your word. Lord, may we better understand the work of the Spirit that points us to the word. Lord, so often we get so confused as to what all of this means. And I think some of our confusion, if we're really honest, is, is a desire to find shortcuts. And Lord, may we not just seek shortcuts. May we be willing to work. And may we not be afraid of that work. May we be excited about it. Lord, there, if we come to the points of desert times, May we cry out to you to, to give us a fresh illumination to come to your word once more with fresh...